Let's pray and then we'll dive in. We are still in Judges. Lord Jesus, thank you for the word of God. Thank you. It is timeless. It is powerful. It's effective. And as best as we can, we posture our hearts now to receive your word. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and shine light where there's dullness in our hearts, to come and bring direction, to come and bring healing, and to bring come hope. But most of all, to come and show us you in your perfection and help us know how we can serve you faithfully and fruitfully in the coming years, days, and months. Amen. So we're in Judges chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, we are in our final week of Gideon. But we are not looking at probably the most famous story of Gideon, where Gideon takes a large army, God whittles it down to 300. And with 300, Gideon overcomes an army of about 100,000, scholars believe. And we're going to just skip over that one, not because it's important, but trying to choose what to preach on. I want you to encourage you to read it. But we are going to pick up in chapter 8 where Gideon has defeated the Midianites and he is then pursuing them to complete his, as it were, victory as he pursues them. Now, Gideon is a pretty good judge on the whole. When you read through Judges, um, Gideon stands out for his uh, faith endeavors and the scale of his victory, probably the largest military victory that there's ever been. But Gideon's star falls quite dramatically to the end of his um, story. I don't know if anyone else likes really fresh milk. I heard this illustration and uh, it, it, it rang very true to me. Who likes fresh, thick, creamy milk? Yeah, blue top, gold top. Does anyone drink gold top milk? That's the creamiest. Who drinks orange top or red top? That's not really milk, is it? It's just like flavored water. It's just like flavor. I, I, just, I, I like blue top, thick milk. There'll probably come a day because of my age, I'll need to stop drinking it. But apparently the, the health benefits for it are huge. Who else drinks thick blue top creamy milk and there's no going back? You're all super healthy. Are they the only people here online? I don't know how you can tell me. Put it in the chat. Does no one else here drink thick creamy milk just because they enjoy it? I love nice fresh milk, but there are times that I tend to just grab it in the fridge and drink it from the bottle. Now, milk doesn't last long in our fridge, but there have been times where I have taken the milk bottle quickly and taken a big gulp and it's almost been solid. When you take a big gulp of milk and it's curdled and it's sour, it's, it's, very, it's disgusting and it's, very, uh, it's disappointing. And something you anticipate being so good ends up being just like, allow yourself to taste that for a moment. That's sadly something of how Gideon's story goes. And so the, the title today is God Your Heart. Can you say God Your Heart? I wanted to call it the the danger of success or something else, but I wanted to give you a tool that will serve you well because we want to do great endeavors for God in faith for Him. But they success and fruitfulness always comes with a danger. And the danger is that our hearts begin to drift. And so what I want to do today is just look at how we can guard our heart, look at the dangers from the story of Gideon, and then how we can guard our heart. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 8. So Gideon is pursuing the Midianites to complete his victory. And it says this in verse 1 of chapter 8. The men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us, not calling us when we went to fight against the Midianites? And they argued with him violently. 
So what's going on here is Ephraim is one of the largest and the wealthiest tribes in Israel. And obviously they have not been involved in this great victory that Gideon has had. So Gideon's gone. God's used him, whittled down the army. And Ephraim are miffed. They've not got in on the action. And so they say to Gideon, why didn't you call us? They were cross with him. They were angry with him. They had been overlooked. They were offended. They had missed out on glory. And Gideon responds, seemingly, we think quite wisely, quite diplomatically, he could be a modern-day politician. So he says in verse 2, he said to them, what have I done now compared to you? Is it not the gleaning of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiza? God handed over to you, Oreb and Zeb, the two princes of Midian. Was I able to do anything compared to you? And when he said this, their anger against him subdued. So they've got angry for being overlooked, and Gideon pacifies them with a really good answer and says, Come on, you guys are, you, you, you know, you are the bee's knees. I'm not really anything. Look at the big picture. This is just one victory. You've done amazing things before, which seems like quite a good reply, and everyone seems really happy. But we read on and we start to see that maybe something else is going on. Verse 4 Gideon and the 300 men came to the Jordan and crossed it. They were exhausted, but still in pursuit. And he said to the men of Succoth, so he's going to come to two towns now, Succoth and Penuel, which are much smaller and less, in, less significant than Ephraim. He said to them, please give me some loaves of bread to the troops under my command, because they are exhausted. For I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the princes of Succoth, verse 6, asked, Oh, Zeba and Zelmuna, these are great names, aren't they? Now in your hands that we should give bread to your army. So Gideon is pursuing, he asks for help, and they say, you haven't won yet, why should we help you? <laughs> you know, let, let's get victory assured, and then we'll help you, because, you know, who knows, it might go a bit wrong. Verse 7, Gideon replied, very well. When the Lord has handed Zeba and Zelmuna over to me, I will tear your flesh with thorns and briars from the wilderness. It's not a very gracious response, is it? Verse 8, he went from there to Penuel, and he asked the same thing of them. And they answered just as the men of Succoth had answered. He also told the men of Penuel, when I return safely, I will tear down this tower. So I just want us to pause there and note the contrast of Gideon's responses and also the contrast between how Gideon's been treated by God and how he's treating other people. And I think there's enough in there to show us the seeds of Gideon's souring and then the rest of the story helps us to, I think, show that he does. So to the powerful tribe of Ephraim, he responds with maybe flattery. He says, you're amazing. I'm not so, I'm not so great. You're there. And he pacifies them like that. And maybe it's true. And to these other smaller towns who won't help him because victory is not assured, he responds with a harshness and he puts them down. Surely Gideon, the person who was the slowest <laughs> to respond to God, who needed God to be patient to him, who needed God to understand his lack of immediate faith, and the God who gave him sign after sign after sign, surely he could have responded to them and said, well, just, just bear with me, trust me, look what God's already done. You know, I, I was like you. I wasn't sure how it was going to turn out. I was so scared I did it at night. And in fact, I needed a sign after a sign. He hasn't responded to them in the way that God treated him. He responds with harshness. And I think the contrast of these two responses is revealing. Why does the author, in the midst of everything that's going on in this battle, highlight this one instance and then this other? 
And I think what you begin to see is Gideon maybe is thinking, some of the commentators will say this, and I, I, I think I agree looking at the rest of the story, that with Ephraim, he needs them. And so he flatters them and he keeps them on side. With these other smaller people, well, he's powerful enough to just cast them aside because they don't serve his purpose anymore. And you and I can fall into this trap so, so easily, can't we? Sometimes we need people to approve of us and we, we flatter them or we want people to think well of us or we need them to like us and so we flatter them and we struggle to ever challenge them and we keep them on side. But we can also at times with people we're not really interested in, who we don't need, who are weaker than us, we're not, we can treat them with harshness. Maybe that's what's going on with Gideon here. And I think there's enough to show that the seeds have been planted for something that is going on in their hearts. So we see in verse 22 that it starts to gain momentum, I think, the souring of Gideon. So verse 22, the Israelites then said to Gideon, Rule over us, you as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. Israel were never meant to have a human king. God was always meant to be their king. Maybe they just think, wow, God's using Gideon. We want him as our king. Although they should never have asked for that, should have looked to God for their king. Maybe they were a bit worried because they'd seen how Gideon treated Sakoth and Penuel. Either way, they're like, you've delivered us. We want you to be king. And Gideon responds impeccably, it seems. So Gideon says this, verse 23. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So if we were to put a full stop there, we think, actually, this is really good. This is a great response from Gideon. Gideon saying, okay, you don't need a, a human king. God is the true king. He needs to rule over you. You don't need to go through someone. You can go straight to God in the ways that he has prescribed. Now, there's a couple of things going on here. I think Israel probably are wanting security. So that they, they go for a human king because God, well, his ways are a bit mysterious. <laughs> and we don't fully understand him. And he's a bit... We can think of him as distant and powerful, but they want a king they can understand, they can grasp. And we can do that in our own lives. When we take the place of God in our own lives, we think, I don't understand fully God's ways. God is distant. Sometimes he scares me, but I don't really understand what he's going on. Actually, I'm going to put myself in the place of king of my life because I understand that. I can get a grip on it. I know what I can deliver. They know what Gideon can deliver. Well, they think they do. Sometimes we take the place of king in our lives, or we look to other things and other people like Israel did. Now, thus far, once again, it seems that Gideon's response is quite good, but a seed has been planted, and we see it all start to unravel and reveal, I think, what's truly going on. Verse 24, then he said to them, so he said, I'm not going to be a king, God will. But then he said to them, let me make a request of you. <laughs> Everyone give me an earring from his plunder, because earrings are super cool. Now, the enemy had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites, obviously. They said, we agreed to give them. So they spread out a cloak, and everyone threw an earring from his plunder on it. The weight of the gold and the earrings he requested was 43 pounds of gold, in addition to the crescent ornaments and ear pendants, the purple garments on the kings of Midian, and the chains on the necks of their camels. This was all in treasure to Gideon. Gideon says, let me make a request. Give me these things. And they throw it all in. Verse 27, Gideon made an ephod from all of this, and he put it in Oprah, his hometown. Then all Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping in there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his household. 
So an ephod was meant to be worn by the high priest in the tabernacle, which was um, at Penuel, at this, at Shiloh at this point. And the tabernacle was where God uniquely dwelt on earth. And the priest would wear the ephod to go and intercede for the people and get answers from God. And that was for the priest to do. So what Gideon's done, he said, I won't be your king, but give me your money. That sounds like taxing, which is what a king would do. And I'm going to make an ephod. I'm going to put it in my hometown. I want this to be the place where you come to me. I'm going to put myself in the place of God. That's basically what's happened here. And so Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it and became a snare to Gideon and his household. So Gideon's gone from, just a short few chapters, gone from this great victory where he's honoring God. And then it seems there's a wrestle in his heart, I think. Harsh with some people, flattering with others, but still able to say, no, it was God will rule over, not me, but, but hey, give me your money. And then he takes the place of God, And then it gets even worse. If you weren't sure what's going on with Gideon, verse 30, Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, since he had many wives. That was a king-like thing to do in those days. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. And Abimelech means, my father is king. This is someone who's saying the right things, but his actions are betraying what's really in his heart. He's a classic, what we might call, religious on the outside kind of person. Does all the right things, but the reality of the fruit of their lives does not testify to God is my king, God is my Lord, I've surrendered my all to him. You know, he might be singing. <laughs> what do we sing? What was the song we sang? I've lost the words. Yeah, yeah, it's the one. But in reality, his life isn't portraying that. His life isn't portraying that. My dad is king is what he has named his son. I think that the constant message of judges is this. What you know there can stay there. And if you don't get it into there, you're in danger. Gideon knew the right answers. Gideon knew that God should be the Lord over them. Gideon knew all of these things and surely he knew the history of Israel, the cycle. And yet he still goes and makes the same mistakes. And even worse, actually, this is the first time in the book of Judges that the people fall away while the judge is in power. Usually they die and then the nations fall away and then God raises up another judge. This is the first time while the judge is there who's seen the mighty works of God. It does say the land had peace, but it also says they prostituted themselves. Saying, what's going on? Well, they had an external peace. It all looked happy, but internal there was a rotting. There was a souring going on in his heart. And you and I face that danger particularly in the West. Hallelujah, Jasper, and amen. Got a little kid making great noises if you're watching online. You and I in the West where it's easy to worship and we can access and tick off having had a devotional by listening to something on an app and reading it, just like we, we can do all the right things. We can go to church. We have the freedom. It's quite easy in many ways to be a Christian where we live. Now, there are some challenges. Of course there are. But as a result, we can live thinking we're doing all these things and it's great and we agree with it. But we walk out the door and our lives and our actions betray that. It's not moving from our head into our, into our hearts. And we can get distracted by the ease of life sometimes. And we can have, and I'm not even saying it's terrible, we can have a, a, a good surface level 
following of Jesus, but we, we're never having to get to the situation where it needs to become real in our hearts. And Proverbs is, Proverbs, there's this beautiful, well, beautiful, provoking proverb in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8, where the author says, Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you saying, Who's the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal it, profaning the name of God. And this is, I think, what's happened with Gideon. He's had too much, too much fame, too much power, too much honor, too much money. I was like, Who's the Lord? I'm, I'm the Lord. I'm put the ephod. I'm the tabernacle. Now come to me. Now, there's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. But the principle is this. It is dangerous to your heart. Wealth, fame, honor, success, and ease is dangerous to your heart because the knowledge can stay here and not get into our heart, which is why I said the title is Guard Your Heart, which we get from Proverbs 4, verse 23. Guard your heart above all else. Can you say above all else? For it is the source of Life. Christianity is primarily about internals. They never stay internal. It flows out, okay? But our actions are the fruit of our faith, of the internal life that is birthed in us. That's why some, some of us have felt great frustration before because we've worked on our behavior, but we've never addressed our beliefs, right? And if your, your, your heart doesn't change, you can only sustain a behavior that you're not fueled from the inside with for so long, <laughs> And we've all met Christians, and I've been one of them, who behavior looks right and say the right things, but it just is horrible. At school, I, I, I said all the right things. I condemned everyone. I said all the wrong things. But there was no life in me. We've all been there. And the danger is that our hearts can sour like what happened with Gideon. So I just want to talk about three principles I felt God give me for us today about how you can guard your heart so that God can use you mightily and you will stay Faithful and following Him. Because for now, if you just go half a degree off course now, for the rest of your life, you could end up totally off course. And these shifts in our heart are so very, very subtle. The enemy is a schemer. He's, you know, he knows what he's doing. For some of us, it's obvious sin and sometimes we fall into it. But most of it, it's subtle. Let me draw your heart away from the living God. Let me draw your heart. Let, let me get it a bit bitter towards God so that you don't start to worship Him and you, you start to get angry and you get bitter and hard-hearted towards God. Which judges poses that challenge itself. Because I think there's two big things that you can take away from judges. Number one, it raises lots of questions about God. The atrocities, the way God works in the Old Testament, they should make us ask questions. <laughs> you know, what about justice? What about... I, I think it is right to ask those questions. If you just gleam over them, something will happen in life and that question will come up. However, I don't think it's the major thing. And those are good questions. But if they are not accompanied by, wow, isn't God merciful? Time and again, His people rebel and go against Him and God pursues them and God loves them and God's patient with them. If you don't have that accompanied with the questions, you will get hard-hearted if you do not see the grace and the mercy of God. And that's how you feed your heart. Because... We will get some answers, but there are some mysteries with God. There are some things that I don't think we'll understand till we get to eternity. I mean, if you could comprehend God fully, he's not really worth being God, is he? But there are some things that are a bit of a mystery. And to some of the big questions, God's answer in Scripture is, I am who I say I am. I am God. That's a simple answer to some of the mysteries. He doesn't explain 
everything. But three principles that I think will help you guard your heart above all else or as Jude 1.21 puts it, how you can keep yourself in the love of God. It says that in Jude 1.21 or just 21. It says, keep yourself in the love of God. Build yourself up. Keep yourself in the love of God. Are you keeping yourself in the love of God or are you just rolling through the days? Yes, amen. Keep yourself in the love of God. It's a beautiful provocation. And I was feeling flat yesterday. I was just, I was tired. I haven't been feeling too well. It was sun, sunstroke, believe it or not. And my son was playing football. And I just, uh, I was just feeling blah. Anyone have those days? Of course you do. And so I thought, I just, I just got to walk around this field and pray. And so there was a track in the field. So I just walked around and prayed. And it started as a discipline, as prayer often does. Um, and I was just praying scripture into my heart. I was just thinking on God and how he's almighty as we sang and thanking him for loving me, regenerating me. Simple scriptural things. And my heart just began to warm, slowly and surely, lap after lap. <laughs> and then I just breathed. <sighs> and I just like, okay, I feel like I've got God orientation in my life again. I don't know if you've had those had those moments. You, you need to do that. And I, I just felt... God is, and I'm grateful because I preached into my heart the truth of Scripture. And there was just a little moment of guarding my heart that sometimes it takes me too long to get there. But I want to give you three principles that help you keep yourself in the love of God like that. Number one, it's so obvious, is prayer. Can you say prayer? Who's already switched off? <laughs> it's, and it's, it's, it's prayer. And I'm not talking about any particular form of prayer. I, I guess I'm particularly talking about praying Scripture into you. Because it's fine to ask God for things and to talk to Him about stuff. But what guards your heart is getting the truth about who God is and what He said into you. And there is no better way than to pray it into you. That's why the Psalms are full of exhortation, like Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits who forgives your sins, heals your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you, do, 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 and it goes in, and it goes in, and it goes in. You can meet two Christians who have grown up in the same environment and the same life. One is flourishing in their faithfulness to God, and the other person just feels dead in that. And often you ask them, what's the difference? And one has a regular, consistent prayer life, and the other doesn't. Because prayer moves the intellectual truth into the depths of our hearts because you commune with the one who speaks truth into you and it's like softening your heart every day. How is your prayer life in terms of getting scripture into your heart? It doesn't have to be eloquent or long or deep, but it needs to be true. It needs to be true. So I still pray. I've said this often. I still will start the day often with Thank you, God, that I'm a new creation. No more in condemnation. Thank you that you love me. Thank you you know the worst bits about me. Thank you that you are faithful. You're a high priest who's living to intercede for me. Thank you I'm no longer in the kingdom of darkness. I'm in the kingdom of light. Thank you I'm a beloved son, not an orphan. Thank you you've dwelt in me by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you welcome me before your throne of God. Thank you I can come to receive mercy and help, not having to bring all my wonderful things. Thank you, God, that you have never left me and never forsaken. It does your soul good. And it's not my thoughts. It's the truth of God in your. And you are breathing in stuff every day. Radio, music, TV. It's coming into your heart every day. And unless you are deliberately 
bringing the Word of God into your heart, it will slowly, I think, sour and drift. So number one, prayer. How is your prayer life? I need to walk. Some of you can sit in silence for a long time. God bless you. It looks so holy. I need to walk and be active. Find something that works for you. Loud, quiet, in your car, at home. Get a regular pattern of praying Scripture into you. Number two, it's kind of connected pursuit. Can you say pursuit? So when you read this verse, I want you to think about the first image that comes to you. To your mind, guard your heart. What is the image that comes to your mind? Think about it for a moment. So, th- I think most of us would be fair to say we, we we think of something like a barricade, something that stops the outside getting to the inside, something that stops darkness coming in, something else. That that's what God sounds like. Would you agree? For most of us, that's now that is certainly part of it. Saying no to sin, resisting evil. The the better way to guard your heart, though, is to say yes to something else. Is to say it's called the expulsive power of a new affection. It's a, a phrase a preacher came up. The expulsive power of a new affection. When you find a new lover, the old lover gets expelled. <laughs> that's the point of it. When your heart grips on something and follows it, the old stuff isn't as attractive anymore. The things of the earth go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Do you know that song? Maybe you don't. Things of the earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Pursuit is about pursuing God, tasting and seeing that He is good, finding a way for you that works, that nourishes your heart in that. Because what your heart grabs onto fills its affections. Who's a Netflix binger? There's more than one in the room. Come on. I, I, when I find a series I like, I, 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 can, I can binge on it, and I do too much. The thing is, though, like, I mean, like, let's get the kids to bed so we can fit in two episodes tonight. Right? Let's, tidy, let's tidy the house now straight after dinner so that we don't have to do it afterwards so we can just watch the episode. Anyone else like that? Tuesday, I can't book a meeting on a Tuesday because there's a new episode coming up. Yeah? Nervous lot, we give it all away. Why? Because once you've been gripped by one episode, you cannot wait to find out the next thing. And so suddenly you're able to organize your life and your calendar more than you're ever able to for anything else. Hmm? Somehow all your little jobs you have to get done, get done because there's an episode of whatever it is. I won't ask you to reveal because I don't want to reveal mine. Whatever it is coming up. But your heart gets gripped by something and it pursues it and everything else finds its place because of that thing. It's a silly example, but it's very real. In the same way, when we get caught up with God, (laughs) you're like, oh, the thought of getting up in the morning a bit earlier to spend time with God. When you get gripped by Him, you'll go to bed earlier so you can get up earlier or whatever it might be for you. You get gripped, you pursue God. Finding a way to connect with God that excites you, that delights you. Find that. Pursue God. It will help you guard your heart. And then thirdly and finally, partners. I wonder if the band could come up. We're going to finish with this. Partners. Can you say partners? Listen, Gideon in his early life sought God out. God, give me a sign. God, help me. God, give me wisdom. God, how do I make this decision? God, I need a fleece. No, reverse the fleece. God, give me a dream. Well, God just gave him a dream. But then he, he seems to forget consulting God. 
You and I, our hearts will always drift unless we have brothers and sisters near us who help you, who guard you and say, hey, what's going on? I, I see this going in your heart. How's your, how's your, how's your love for God? How's your, how's your prayer? How's your zeal going? As elders, once a term collectively, we do it individually at other times. We have what we call a review and we, we get together and we spend a whole evening looking at a piece of scripture that speaks about qualifications as elders and we ask ourselves, how are we doing in this? So, for example, it speaks about your ambition. What is your ambition? Are you doing it for selfish gain? Or are you serving willingly, not begrudgingly? And so we spend the evening asking ourselves, how about this? Well, when you, when you did this, what was going on there? And I suspect we all go in thinking, oh, I'm okay on this one. But by the end of the evening, there's a little question like, oh, I think I'm doing okay, but I'm glad that question was asked. <laughs> we end up speaking about one thing the whole night and don't get through all the others, do we? But... I'm grateful that there are people who encourage and guard and partner with us in that. Now, there's two extremes you can fall into with discipleship, mentoring, partners, whatever you want to call it. One is that it's just people who affirm you. That's nice. That's lovely. That's wonderful. And they're just a nice listening ear. But they never speak truth in and never challenge you, never ask you, why are you doing that? Your attitude seems a bit off. Why are you to help you grow? The other side is it can just be truth. <laughs> you know, and traditionally men's discipleship groups are like, let's bring the word of God. Let's challenge you, brother. Okay. Now, there's, 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 that's okay if you're trying to help each other grow. So you need grace and truth. So who in your life is speaking into your life deliberately, proactively, encouragingly, and bringing truth to bear on your heart? Or are you drifting into isolation? Probably in reaction to someone who said something you don't particularly like. <laughs> And that's when your heart can drift and begin to sour, I think. So I want to encourage you. Life groups are a good start. They might provide a context where you meet that person. Pursue someone. Three Ps to guard your heart. Pray, pursue, and partner with someone. Let's stand together. We're just going to finish with some, with some worship. And we're going to do communion slightly differently today. You should have been given a communion cup when you came in. If you didn't and you would like communion, please raise your hand. Someone in the hospitality team will get a communion cup. So if you're at home, you might want to um, get ready. So just as we, as we come to worship, when you are ready and in your own way, if you want to respond with communion today, I want you to do that in your own time during the song. But just as we come to an end, every time you look at judges and the imperfection of the judges, you are reminded of the perfection of Jesus. So whilst Gideon tried to create a tabernacle, take the place of God, Jesus is the great tabernacle, the very dwelling habitation of God on the earth. Jesus had every right to demand that we serve him as king, and yet he chose to lay down his life and win us to his kingship. Unlike Gideon, Jesus never fails, never falters, never has, never will. He is utterly faithful and utterly obedient to the very end despite the cost he was beaten, mocked, scorned, shamed. And only after all of that has he been raised in glory. So Lord, as we come to an end now and as we worship you, we pause and we invite you. And I want you to do this very deliberately as you feel comfortable. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and shine lights on our hearts where they are drifting or hardening or souring 
or numbing. We invite you to come and help us walk free of that into the fullness of what you have for us. That we would be men and women who you can use to do great things as you did with Gideon, but who will remain faithful and fruitful. God, we never want the fulfillment of all our dreams to lead us to make it all about us. We long to have soft and faithful hearts so that you can use us to reach hundreds of thousands of people across the world with the gospel, and yet we remain humble and soft, and we need your help for that. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, in this moment, to both show us the drift, the souring of our hearts, but also to show us Jesus and the wonder of the cross and his now supreme rule and reign over all things and to show us the truth that we are not alone, that we are indwelt by the Spirit, the power of God and that our affections would pursue, would chase after Jesus, that we would move from prayer as discipline to delight and desperation. Come, Holy Spirit, and help us. As Al said earlier, never to simply go through the motions, but to catch a glimpse, and as Roy shared, of the glory and of the greatness and the wonder of God that we are besotted and caught up and ruined for nothing less than that. To your glory, Jesus. Amen.